There, yep, yep. I think I might have turned it the wrong way the first time. So, hey, uh, my name is Seth. Glad you guys are here. I want to add uh, my uh, welcome uh, to you guys. I'm one of the pastors uh, uh, here. So, uh, hey, we're going to do something a little bit uh, different uh, this morning. Uh, we're going to do, you know, some teaching and a few other things here too. About halfway through the week, I just kind of felt the spirit kind of just shift my heart to a little bit different direction as than I think I was initially planning. And so, um, yeah, let's just just bear with me this morning. We'll have a couple of new things um, starting now. So, <laughs> um, what we're going to do is we're going to jump into some dialogue. We don't do this a lot, um, but I think it's really good. It kind of keeps us on our toes here, right? And, um, and so here's my question to you. We're just going to dialogue together with people uh, around you. What's something that you've done uh, that has stretched you beyond like what you're normally comfortable? So it could be mental, it could be emotional, it could be social. It's perfectly fine to say this right now, <laughs> you know, is, is <laughs> hard for me or whatever. It may be something spiritual. But I just want to give you like a minute or so. Uh, turn to the person next to you. If you are by yourself or if you're the person that you're with is under the age of Four, you probably will need to say hi to somebody else, you know. So uh, take a minute and uh, answer the question. Twenty more seconds, twenty more seconds, finish it up. If you're at home that were participating online with us, we're glad that you guys are here, but uh, if you had to do that by yourself, no worries, the Holy Spirit is with you, or you could have just texted somebody, I suppose, randomly, so... Um, forgot to say hi to you guys. So glad that you guys are here. Hey, is that, I don't know if you got to, I mean, I would love, I mean, it'd be really fun to actually hear you guys' stories and just some of the different things that have stretched you. Um, and, and it's different for different people and everybody has kind of these, these fear zones and I think in our lives. Uh, and so what might be fearful to you is easy for somebody else, but, uh, but vice versa. It's just interesting the way these stories uh, work, right? And we get stretched uh, and that's good. So I remember um, when I was uh, in high school, uh, the first time, uh, the first time I actually ever got the chance to go whitewater rafting. How many of you guys have ever gone whitewater rafting? Great. A few of you, uh, probably because there's nothing here to do that And I suppose. Um, <laughs> to be fair, a lot of people in the first service said that they had, so um, although maybe after snow melt, you know, we just need to 
create some some narrower things with rocks and stuff. We could we could that could be a new Salem adventure. We could do that. That would be fun. Um, so, anyways, I remember the first time that I got to go uh, whitewater rafting, and I was in I think I was in high school, and so I remember uh, going, and my my family had to like my parents, my dad, or my mom had to sign out, you know, like that, that whole thing, that waiver thing. And as you're looking at how much information it requires, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a unique thing, right? Because you're entering into it, this potentially dangerous situation, or at least what seems dangerous. And I remember, you know, you, you get in line and they take you down there and you begin to watch all these other people kind of go out and you're, you get to see or hear the spiel from this guide, you know, kind of over and over and over. And the more they do it, the more nerve-wracking it is. Because you look out on the water and you know that right there, this where you're, where you're setting into the river is nice and flat and easy. But you know, like a quarter mile down the way, it gets really crazy really quickly. And so as you listen, as I remember listening to the guide, um, you know, he's, you know, he's talking about the boat, and he's talking about the equipment, and here's your helmet, don't ever take it off, here's your life vest, don't ever take it off, here's your paddle, don't lose it, Just tuck your foot under, you know, the rubber piece, if you fall out, Lord help you, kind of a thing, you know, and you're like, oh my goodness, like this is, this is kind of terrifying, it's kind of a hard thing, right? Um, but I remember coming out of that, that, that spiel, before we entered into this, I remember very clearly in my mind, and heart feeling this, is like, I've never done this before, and yet I am a crucial element to this boat's success, you know? It's like, here's your paddle, don't lose it. Like, and I, and I kind of had this thought, like, later on in life, I was like, you know, if I'm, like, whitewater rafting with a group of people, like, what happens if you're the person who's like, nah, don't really care? You know, like, here's my paddle. I don't need my paddle. You know, you guys got this. You guys are good, you know? Like, what if that was the case, you know? Like, it's a weird thing. And so I just remember going through, right, going down, and, and you enter into the rapids, and, and really, it's, it's, it's a lot like church in a lot of ways, in ministry, because the river is going one direction. Like, nobody sets the boat in and, and realizes that the current is going this way and says, we're going to go this way. Right? Nobody does that. And so what we have to do is we have to like, identify where is God moving in life right now? What is God doing? And let's get our boat in that water and let's figure out how we can go with the current, right? And we need people with, with paddles to navigate, right, um, the, the water as we go, right? And that's, that's kind of the way the white rider rocking works. And I remember the first time that I got, I got done and I finished this thing and like the whole time, like your heart is like beating super fast, right? Like you're doing this white water rafting and it's, and it's, it's amazing. It's it's exhilarating, and yet it's terrifying all at once, right? As the walls kind of close in on you, and, and the, the rapids get bigger, and then you make it to the end, and people, if somebody says, well, how was it? Oftentimes, I mean, my response was, oh my, let me tell you, that, wow, that was hard, but it was so good. Like, it was so great. Like, and let me just, like, there's this natural thing about, like, being human. Then when we experience something that we, that we love, that we want to tell somebody about it. So it's like, say a new restaurant opens up in town and you go and you have their new burger and you're like, wow, that was really good. The natural thing is to come out and to go where? To your friends and to your family. And what are you going to say? 
Well, maybe you want to like hold it as a secret so you don't tell them anything, you know? And, you know, like that's my spot, like nobody go there, right? But you tell them how great it is and how good it was, you know? And I think that like very similarly to this whole whitewater rafting, I think that there's this reality that uh, the more something stretches us, the more that it changes how we respond, right? It's not just everyday normal things. There's something that's very stretching about those moments for each of us in life when something really stretches us outside of our comfort zone. Something very similar happens in this passage. It's when we were in Acts. We've been in Acts, right? And if you remember, the context here, what happened is that these, you've got Peter and John, and they were walking to go pray. And then you've got, you know, this other guy who comes, and he needs lots of healing. And so that's kind of the context, right? And so here they are. They're going. And then what happens is, is that they intertwine their stories. One guy is healed. This whole crowd comes and shifts their gaze to Peter and John, so they do the right thing. They take their gaze off of themselves and point them to Jesus. But in the midst of that, this other crowd comes and says, we don't like what you're doing, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to arrest you, right? And you're like, wow, that escalated really quickly. And so they take them to prison for doing a good deed, which is very strange, but it was real. This is the story. Uh, And then the next day, they bring them out, and they bring them in front of all of these people. They begin to question them, and then they charge them. They have no response to the fact that something good and amazing and incredible has happened, but they do not like the name of Jesus. So they say, shame on you, no more. And the disciples are like this. No. (laughs) I hear you, so I'm nodding my head, but no. And their response is, is because it's greater for us to listen to God than it is to you, right? And it's about this inflow, overflow type of a moment that we that we see, but it's not an everyday type of normal event. It's something that's very stretching. So I imagine as these people would have come out of this environment and come out of this moment, they're going to run to their friends and they're going to say, wow, that was really hard, but let me tell you about what God did, okay? So we're going to jump back into Acts chapter 4. If you don't have your Bibles, you can use one of the companion journals. If you do not have a companion journal, you may raise your hand, um, and uh, one of our wonderful ushers will bring that to you. We're going to be on page uh, 40, okay? So we're nearing the end, if not kind of the end of this story and the way this plays out here in Acts uh, chapter 4. I just want to read this first verse to you here. Here's what it says. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends right? Just like we talked about. And then they reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Like, so I just imagine this moment, like, gosh, like, hey, where are you guys last night? Like, like, do you guys all stay over at somebody else's house? Like, no, cool. We were in prison, you know? Yeah. Well, what happened? Well, we healed a guy. That doesn't make any sense. I know, you know, like it's just this weird scenario. Um, and so they're reporting and telling everybody. I'm sure they're saying, wow, this is really, really hard, but let me tell you about what God did. And I think that there's something, I mean, it's really easy for us just to move right past this, but I think it's worth pausing because what, what we're seeing here is that in the midst of life, in the midst of trials and circumstances and joys, right, they have both of these things. And what do they do? they run to their friends. And it shows us the significance of godly biblical friendships. 
You know, and here at church, you know, we at Salem, we want to continue to work on and to build what I call this, this culture of struggle well, which means that every single person in this room, including myself, has equal struggles, right? Um, but very few people struggle well. To struggle well is the ability to point yourself or anybody else in any given moment to Jesus. So there's this grace and forgiveness that we find, and yet there's also friendship and accountability as we begin to live on mission together, right? And there's something that's required, though, in that is this really deep authenticity. And oftentimes we want to, we, we hold these things in life, these, these circumstances, whatever it is that's happening in life, and we hold it close to us when in reality we should be running to our friends and both praying and celebrating in the midst of these things, because I think that what happens in these moments is that the more vulnerable and transparent that I am, as I come to a group of friends, what can happen is that we become mutually interdependent. And so we become interdependent together. But here's the key, is that it's focused on who? It's not focused on us, it's focused on Jesus. So the more interdependent we become, the deeper our dependence together relies on God. And it's this beautiful picture of what Luke calls the koinonia, or the fellowship of the church. And many weeks ago, we said that fellowship is more than high fives, and hot dishes, right? And those are great. Those are great parts of being a part of a community, but that's not, that's not the deepest part, right? The deepest part that we hold is these common struggles in life and the joys that we have in Jesus. And so there's this coming together. And so they run ultimately to their friends, but they do one thing. As they hear one thing that they do together, they turn to, and they turn to this, prayer. Right? This is the first thing that they do together, is to turn to prayer. Now, I want to ask a question here for a moment, because when you think of prayer, and I'll give, I'm going to give you a moment just to just wrestle with this for a second. Now, it's not a big share time, but just give you 10, 15 seconds. When you think of prayer, what do you think of? What is prayer to you? And probably the easiest way to answer this question is, how do you pray? So think about it for a moment. What is prayer to you? I would be willing um, to guess that this is, this is one of the few things, like if we were playing Family Feud here, right, where it's like the top five guesses, you know, of like what's happening, my guess is, is that this would come up in, in the bulk of our answers, and it's the idea of needs. We all have needs. Why? Because we're humans and we're needy people. Every single person in this room has deep, deep needs. Uh, I remember um, when Nikki and I were wrestling through our um, story of infertility, um, and as we got to the, to the end of that as the doctor, you know, there was hope, and then there was no hope, and then there was hope, and then there was no hope, and it was just painful tears. And going through that, where did we run? We ran to our friends, and we created this. There's mutual interdependence that was dependent on God, right? And God brought us through that story and brought us to a place of healing. And later on in life, God brought us Eden, right? But, but 
getting a baby that you don't nurture is different, right? And so as we were entering into this new life, right, with a, with a, with a, a new baby in our home, who's, she was adopted, so if you don't know, um, as we're adjusting to this reality, we, we took her in for her three-month uh, checkup. And uh, maybe I've shared this story before, but I think it just demonstrates this, the, the need that was in my life. So we took her in, Nikki calls me because I wasn't there, and so she says, I think you should come in and talk to the doctor. And so I said, okay. So I came in, we talked to the doctor, and, uh, and he was kind of relaying that uh, some of the, the, the blood cell counts were off and so wanted to run some tests just to make sure that it wasn't meningitis. Which, by the way, since I'm not a doctor, that's not to be confused with gingivitis, okay? So that's a very different thing. <laughs> I was like, huh? And then Nikki was like, no, it's bad. I was like, oh. You know, and so it took me to this place really quickly, you know, um, and uh, okay, what's happening here? So they, they put her in this room, they start running all these tests, but in the midst of running, the, like, it's like a spinal, you know, needle, and I'm like, there's this baby that just entered my life that I'm adjusting to, but God has placed in our life, and, he, and she's on this bed surrounded by people, and I had no control of what was happening, right? And in the midst of that, her heart rate began to increase, and so they were worried about her heart stopping. And so here, and then all these, like, 10 people are in there, ice packs, and, and she's just crying at the, the top of her lungs, and I have zero control. And it's this incredibly painful thing, right? We all have needs, and that's just, like, one big example, right? There's so many different other types of needs that every single person in this room has on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, both big and ultimately small, right? And so here's my, here's my thought. For those of us with Jesus, we have tons of hope in those moments, what if you're a person who has that type of a story but doesn't know Jesus? Like, where's the hope? I want you to think about this, because when we think about prayer, these people turn to prayer, right? They ultimately turn to prayer, but they have this faith in God. Where do other people turn? And so there's this reality that, that God looks at us, you and me, as he, in the same way he looks at the world and says, man, I totally get that your needs are deep and hard and challenging and difficult. And he wants to step into those needs. He wants to step into those needs for the world in the same way that he steps into those for us. And so for while we're thinking about prayer and as the church, right, we need to to remember that, that ultimately God is concerned about our needs. At the same time, he's also concerned about doing something in you and through you for the sake of the world, right? It's this both and tension that's held, right? And so here's, what, here's how this prayer gets laid out. Um, we're going to see kind of three different things, uh, or kind of four things, different things that get laid out um, by the disciples as they're together praying with all of their friends, okay? So it says, when they're released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders said to them, verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God, Right? They lifted up their voices together to God. I want to just create a moment just to pause here for a moment. 
And so this is kind of out, out, of, the, out of the ordinary, of things that we, we probably don't do on a lot of Sundays, but, but uh, sometimes just the best way. So in this text, it says they prayed together. So without scaring anybody away, I want to stretch us and just give us a small pocket to, just to create a moment of reflection and to create a moment of prayer in your life and in our lives together, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read from Psalm 69, just a few verses. And I just want you to listen. Close your eyes if you need to. Do whatever you need. But just listen to the words. And what I'm asking is that as you hear the words, make these words your prayer, okay? Save me, O God, For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched and my eyes grow dim with waiting for God. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must I now restore. O God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love. Answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Sense and feel the weight of that because it is deep. It's a mire that we cannot get out of. It's the indignation from people's accusations and and charges against God's elect. And yet in the midst of this, you go, this is written to, this is written by someone who had faith in God. How in the world does someone who does not know Jesus respond in these moments? And we begin to see, right, that if we have these needs, we know that other people have these needs as well. And so as we lift up our voices together in prayer, I want just to come back to the text because in verse 24, right, it says they lifted their voices together and said, here's what they say together. It says, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
For truly, in this city were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Get this, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place, right? So, okay, we're going to come back to our board here, and we're going to look at, see how this, this prayer kind of unfolds, right? So, it starts with what? Who does it, who does it talk about at the beginning? It starts with the Lord, doesn't it? Right? This is the way that it begins. It says, Sovereign Lord. And so at the very beginning here, what they do is they're creating this posture shift. Right? They're moving away from transaction and moving towards the idea of transformation. And this is fundamentally important to this prayer. Right? Because we know that every single one of us has needs and we want God to answer those needs. And oftentimes he does. Not always in the way that we want. But he's ultimately deeply concerned about those needs. But sometimes when we jump straight to our needs, we miss or forget really who God is and the way that he's working in the world. And this is his sovereign plan that's unfolding, right? And so it's their way, I think, of saying, God, this is about who you are and what you're doing. So the posture shift here is that we want to know ultimately what you want to do in us and through us. That's the posture shift. And so they're starting, though, with this idea of who God is. And oftentimes the way that we see that is through, you know, um, what he does. And so we have this idea of him as creator in the text, right? And, uh, and sometimes I think that we, we kind of miss the significance of the idea of creation. Like, I don't know that I often think in my prayers or start my prayers with, God, you're the creator of everything. But that certainly puts things into perspective, doesn't it? Right? Like, I, I once saw a video um, of a young guy doing this kind of humor nature walk, and he goes to this tree, this aspen tree, and he like hugs it and pets it or pats it, and he says, This is an aspen tree. You can tell it's an aspen tree because of the way that it is. And you're like, wow, how observant, you know? Like, it's super funny in the moment. And yet, oftentimes, it's the way that we treat God as creator. It's so rudimentary. It's just, yeah, it's just creation. No, this is something that started with nothing <laughs> and got created. He designed it. He thought of it. And then he designed it. And then he made it right? And it came from nothing. And there's all these pieces and components and there's processes and growth patterns and there's life and death and all of these crazy things that happen. And it's not just with creation as plants and animals, it's also with humans, right? You, there's never been a person in this world just like you, ever, past, present, future. That's crazy to think that God is the creator. He thought of you, he designed you, and then he made you, Right? And this is where they're starting. God, you're sovereign, and you are creator. But not just that, you're also the revealer, right? You are a God who reveals things. You speak to your people. You talk to your people, right? And so he's talking about the Holy Spirit speaking through the Old Testament, and he quotes, and he, he kind of, he uses from the psalm, he, he talks about the, the Gentiles or the nations raging and, and, and uniting themselves against against Jesus or against the anointed. It starts with this, this group of people or the nations, and it's these people, and it says they gather together, and it's against this coming Messiah, okay? So as we think through this, right, 
I'll do, I'll do it right here. Right? So you have Jesus really ultimately at the center of this whole thing, right? The nation's raging, right? And yet, by association, this includes us, doesn't it? Because you have Peter and John who are at the center of this. But if you were to track the story backwards, kind of here's how it goes, right? There's this Jesus person at the middle that's, that the, the initial people didn't like. Who are the initial people? The priests, the captain of the guard, and the Sadducees. They're like, Jesus, uh-uh, we don't like him. Healing, meh, you know, Jesus, no way. And so they, they, they say, we don't like this. And so what do they do, right? They bring them in front of another crowd. Who's the other crowd, right? You have the whole Sanhedrin or the, the priestly or the whole Jewish, you know, Supreme Court. It's all of the most influential, wealthy, powerful people in the Jewish culture, right? And so they bring them in. But then what does Luke do? He adds in another layer. He says there's this other group of people. If you go back even further, there's Herod, and there was Pontius Pilate, right? Those people didn't really like Jesus either. And then he goes on, and one more, and it's like he makes this massive circle. I don't even know if I can make it this, like, reflect it this much. He makes this massive circle. He's like, oh, by the way, and all of the nations. <laughs> He's like, so here's the deal. He's like, if you want to make this really big so we understand what's happening here, he's like, not only do you have these people here, but you have the rest of the world, all of these people as well. And guess what? What he's saying is that all of these people are in alignment. They're gathered together against Jesus and by association, us. That's a powerful thing right, is you see this is the natural order of things, the natural order of the world. No wonder we want to keep our faith hidden at times, right? right and I think about this. This is so unnatural, by the way. This is so strange. This is so illogical. It's very natural, but it's illogical. Why? Because if you go to the doctor, and if you have something wrong with you, and the doctor, you say, here's my symptoms, the doctor diagnoses it and says, here's the, here's the remedy, you know, you say, thank you, if you come to Jesus, people say, no, thank you. And because this is the fundamental nature of the human heart, right? We ignore or override and ignore our most fundamental sin or most fundamental sickness, which is our separation from God and our need for forgiveness, which, by the way, makes Jesus' response on the cross so much more significant. All these people aligned, and as Jesus looks at these people, what does he say on the cross? He says, man, these guys are, just don't have any clue what they're doing. No. He says, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. Right? Which brings you to the last piece in that text is that, as is pointed out, that God is a God of history. All of this was according to plan. So as this whole thing is unfolding, there's this reminder for us, you and I in today's world, that nothing surprises God, not even this. If this doesn't surprise God, nothing else surprises Him. And so as we begin to think about prayer and to wrestle with prayer, we begin to see it through this lens a little bit, right? Is that it starts with Lord, sovereign Lord, your creator. You are the revealer, and you are the God, ultimately, of history, 
right? So I want to show you a couple of quick pictures here. This picture is from the Western Wall um, of modern-day uh, Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And so uh, most of the upper parts of, of today's temple have been rebuilt over the ages because it's been destroyed and rebuilt by different peoples. But this is one area that you can go down because it's been excavated down below that you can put your hand on some of the foundation stones or some of these stones uh, that would have been um, around during Jesus' day, right? And so this is where, you know, Jews um, go, which, by the way, I wish I could have shown you a video um, just this not long ago, just before the day Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. So it's the day that the high priest would have gone into the most holy place. Um, they had record number of Jews show up, and the whole space is crowded with like 100,000 people. I mean, it's just amazing. But as you look at this, you see there's some kind of common denominators or common themes, one of which is is this. And so for every male that goes to pray at the Western Wall, they won't let you go down without putting this on. And this is what's called a yarmulke. And this is significant because in Jewish culture, why they wear this is so that every, everywhere they go, that they are reminded that God is always above them. Meaning that you're always cognizant of what? This structure. And instead of going straight to my needs, who is God and what is he doing? Lord, he's sovereign, right? Creator, revealer, history, right? And so there's this positive, very positive that we learn from this. But here's the downside of this, is that when you think about what they're praying for, all of their hope is tied to what? It's tied to a building. Because they're waiting and waiting for God to bring back the temple, Right? In fact, if you look at this next picture, you see that in the cracks of the walls is where people take all of their prayers and they jam them into whatever crack is available and they're waiting for God to answer their prayers. And so if we come back and we think about prayer, right, there's these kind of these two different perspectives about prayer. One is the Jewish perspective, you know, in that you have the temple. If this is the walls of the temple, you know, and this is where the temple is, so it's the Temple Mount, right? If you remember, though, when God removes his presence from here, where does he put it? Where's the new temple? Acts 2. He puts it directly inside of us. And so when you begin to look at the lengths in which Jewish people will go to just get near and to touch the very wall and to be near the presence of God where he was in the, in the Old Testament... And yet, the Christian perspective says, Jesus accomplished it, so his presence is right here. And it's this powerful prayer that motivates us because we now are the new temple. Everywhere you go is the, is the temple, right? That's the reality. Every single, where, every single place that you go is now the new temple. So when you think about prayer, what do you think of? We oftentimes have this tendency to go right to needs, and that's not a bad thing because God is, is, is ultra concerned about those needs, but at the same time, he's also concerned about what he wants to do in us and through us, and so he changes, right? The posture It's not just about transactions, not just about what God can give us. It's about what he wants to transform and do in us. And this is what leads us to the end of this passage, right? And it's where they actually do their petition. So they've been praying about God, right? And here is their petition. Look at this in verse 29. It says, and now, 
Lord, look upon the threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Okay? Just as you see this stack up now, right? So if this was the beginning of their prayer, this is actually now their petition over here. And they pray three things, but they start with Lord, the same thing. What started over here with Sovereign Lord, they come back to, and they say, and now, Lord, right? And they pray three things. The first one is this. We want you to look at our circumstances, just understand what we're going through, right? And it reminds me of this moment in, in Luke when, when the disciples like, are, are, are walking with Jesus. They go in this little town in Samaria, and it says that they're rejected. The whole town rejects Jesus. And the disciples, in all of their glorious stupidity, say this, Jesus, would you like us to call down fire? And he's like, no, rebuke, rebuke, rebuke. You know, that's not what I'm about, right? So you might expect when there's this weight, you begin to sense and feel this weight. We look at this and we go, man, I want, I want to get out of that. I want to be away from that. But it just says, look upon our circumstances. And Lord, would you grant us the ability to continue to speak the word boldly. Because hear this, if you, if you don't hear anything else this morning, don't miss this. They do not pray for their circumstances to stop. They pray that in light of whatever circumstances they have, is that there's boldness for the gospel. And the last thing is this, is that in the midst of that, while we do that, would you continue to show up and meet people's needs? Would you continue to heal people? And so what I find is that if we are the new temple and you come over here to this petition for boldness, now we find for us in today's world, right, that we ask God for boldness to speak the gospel clearly and boldly where we live, where we work, right? That's a school or something. And where we play, that's a basketball, that we continue to ask God. But you see, this is where it all started, up here. Lord, here's who you are. Here's what we want you to do. It's, it's not, it's, it's where these two things meet. And so as you begin to look at this, here's my question for you guys. What happens when our prayers line up with our prayer for boldness? You see, coming over here, we go, we know that we all have needs. The world has needs. Everybody has needs. God cares for those. He wants to hear those. Bring them to him every day of your life. Keep doing that at the same time. Pray that God would do a work in you and through you because there's a whole other hope, host of people out there who need that same hope. And so, I just, and again, I want to stretch you guys but not scare you. I just want to read a couple of passages of Scripture here together as we wrap up. As we speak this together, I'm going to read it. Just listen, and then, we'll, and then we'll pray it together, okay? Just listen for a moment. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let that sit for a moment. 2 Timothy 3.12. 
Now let's say it together, all one voice. Make this our corporate prayer. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Next verses, Romans 10. Let me just read them. Let's listen. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let's make this our corporate prayer together. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. As we think about this, this is the question that we end with and wrap up and just remind ourselves, like, what happens when our prayers line up with boldness? And that together these things, we are praying together for boldness. This is the final verse, verse 31. It says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And guess what? They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Here's what I love about that is that the whole room was shaken, and yet what it created was an unshakable people. So powerful to think that whatever the world throws against us, whatever your coworker, whatever your aunt or your uncle or whoever it is throws at you, that we can be an unshakable force. And so as I think, as we come back to the whitewater rafting for a moment, right, as we enter in, no one goes into the river without training. And so the same thing, I get it that evangelism is scary, right? But we oftentimes want, in, in our cozy culture, we want all the blessings of Jesus without any of the costs. And yet there's the sense in which we have these needs that we bring to God in which he also says, but man, here's the deal, I want to work in you and through you. It's a both and, not an either or. It's a both and thing. And so here's my thought. It's like, hey, let's, let's increase our confidence. And so let's train together. Let's work on how we as a church can continue to be a church that speaks holistically, positively about Jesus. And in order to help you do that, we're going to create um, this evangelism as relationships training. A friend of mine, Shane Stacy, used to be the um, REACH director, uh, director of um, students for the EFCA uh, nationally. He's going to come on November 5th, and we'll announce this next week. But we would love to have you there. This is an all-church thing. All-church, all ages, we want you there. It's going to be fun, food, fellowship, high fives, and hot dishes, kind of. Um, and then, but we're going to learn together about how we can actually go into the world with confidence. And it's not just about sharing the gospel. It's about building these intentional relationships in a way that makes it easier for us and gives us confidence. So um, this morning, as we wrap up and finish, I just want to just share this with you and ask, Lord, um, let's be a church that prays for boldness. Let's do that right now as we finish. I'll let worship team up. Father, thanks for this morning. 
What a beautiful opportunity to be here and to be able to worship and to celebrate the goodness uh, of Jesus, right? And as we come, and as we know that all of our needs, past, present, future, can and will ultimately be met in Jesus. And there's so much joy uh, that we sing with gratitude to you who meets us right where we are in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our struggle. And God, but Lord, would we also pray this, that you would continue to do a work in us and through us. May we be a church that prays for boldness, that would be a church that as a whole speaks positively of Jesus everywhere we go. Amen.